0: Well, welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed Martin. We're so glad you're joining us today at our Ashley Park campus or you're watching this online. As you just saw, uh, we're preparing for the best Christmas ever. And best Christmas ever is what we're calling our Christmas Eve service, and I hope you're preparing to invite a lot of people to come to that, Uh, people who might not normally be involved in a church. We think that's going to be a great experience for them. But let me tell you about this series, which is not the best Christmas ever, but preparing for the best Christmas ever, and what it's about. This series is intended to address what I would call Christmas remorse. And what I mean by that is, it's kind of that thing you have when you're talking to your friend of yours, it's after Christmas, maybe the new year, and you say to them, so how, how was your Christmas? And they say something like, oh, it's good, I, I don't know, you know, it, it's good, I, I don't really have any complaints, things are fine, but I don't... It just wasn't, you know, I'm in a better place than I've ever been, and my family's doing well, my marriage is doing good, I'm doing good spiritually, and I just thought maybe this Christmas, it would be different, that it wouldn't just be another Christmas exchange. I feel like maybe, I was hoping we would have more meaning out of it. I wanted to hang out with some people and really enjoy that, but they were busy, and then we got busy, and it just became another big, let's give each other gifts, and I, I feel like we missed out on something. But then once they finish all that, they'll, like every great Atlanta sports fan, say, but wait till next year. Next year is going to be the best Christmas ever. Well, we decided we wanted to try, as we prepare for best Christmas ever, uh, that we wanted to try to give you some practices and some ideas, starting on December 1st, that, that would, might lead to us all collectively Uh, actually having uh, the best Christmas ever. And, you know, if you're new around church, I guess you already know this, but I don't want to assume anything. Uh, Christmas is the time where we traditionally celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I know everybody hasn't talked about Jesus in their home at Christmas, but you're at a church, and at church, traditionally, this is the time we, uh, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, I say traditionally because nobody really believes this is the time that Jesus was born. Or I should say, there aren't any scholars that would say this is probably the time that Jesus was born. I don't have time to go into all of that today, but here's what I'll tell you. Uh, we're going to, throughout this month, be offering some short videos throughout the week to lead you to make this the best Christmas ever. And you'll go, if you'll go right now to the ashleyparkchurch.com, go to the bottom of the page, you'll see a YouTube link. If you'll click on that and subscribe to our channel, you'll get those videos. And one of the first ones this week is going to explain uh, why do we celebrate December 25th and why, when was Jesus probably born. So I hope you'll do that. But it's a good time, whether it's the exact right time or not, for us to remember the birth of our leader, Jesus Christ, and for us to come back to the chance to do some of the things he wants. That We can engage with people, and we can start conversations with them about him. And I don't mean we start conversations with all that foolishness of Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays. Don't do that. Uh, That's just silly. Instead, have a conversation about, hey, this is the birth of Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and hey, would you like to come sit with me at a Christmas Eve service and see what that's all about? And we know that lots of people would be willing to do that. But what we want to do in this series is take the next four weeks and try to get at some of the things that can help us as followers of Jesus uh, to get ready for the best Christmas ever. And today, I want to start by taking you to something that is really at the core of who Jesus was, and it's become a part of our community Christian tradition. Now, the scripture I want to show you to start this thing off is one you've already heard in this service. We've already talked about it. Uh, It's written by a historian named Luke, uh, who uh, researches the life of Jesus, and then he writes one of the uh, accounts given to us in the Bible. And uh, this is the very first time that Jesus is ever going to speak publicly. Uh, Here's what Luke records. When he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. So... Jesus goes to the town that he grew up, and it's worship day, so he goes to worship like he's done his whole life. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, which is one of the Old Testament uh, books, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. So I just want you to note, this isn't something randomly that happens. Jesus looks for this place, and then he intentionally reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the year of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. So he reads this part about being good news to the poor, about this being the year of the Lord. And the people will be set free, that they'll be healed, that this is good news for people. And then he says, this is all starting today. So there's good news for the poor. There's the year of the Lord. Let me tell you what that's about. So, the year of the Lord, most scholars believe, refers back to something that God had originally set up when he began to describe to his people what he wanted to see take place in them. It's called the year of Jubilee. Now, that's not a phrase that most of us are familiar with, or if we are, it's only basic uh, kind of understanding. So, let me tell you a little bit about the year of Jubilee. Here's the way it's described by God. He says, Count off seven Sabbaths of years, then add the trumpet Sound everywhere on the Day of Atonement, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a year of Jubilee. Now, you may not know, you've heard the word Sabbath, maybe you don't know, it just means seventh. And so every seventh day, God set up as a time of rest, that human beings work best and we have a time of rest. And so God put in place that. Once a week, you just stop work, and you remember, God's got it. You don't have to work all the time. God will take care of things. And then he also said to his people, Hey, in the land that I'm going to give you every seventh year, I want you to let the land lay fallow. Don't grow anything. Previous six years, store up so you'll have enough to eat. But then on the seventh year, to take care of the land and to remind you that I can be trusted, don't plan anything on the seventh year. And then he says... Every seventh group of seven years, so 49 years, on that day of atonement, I want you to declare the next year to be a jubilee year. And in the jubilee, certain things were supposed to happen. He says, first of all, all debts are supposed to be captive, uh, to be canceled. Anybody who is in debt and feels the oppression of being under the weight of having debt hanging over your head in the jubilee year, They're all canceled. Now imagine, those of you who have student loans, that you get a letter and say, It's Jubilee. All your student debts are canceled. Well, that's what the year of Jubilee was about. But that's not the way our world works. In our world, we don't so much try to look for ways to give benefits to those who are in debt. What we're trying to do is try to figure out how to get people indebted to us. I got a letter not too long ago, probably like one that most of you have gotten at some point in your life. Uh, It said something like this. Dear Mr. Martin, the road to financial success has many milestones marking how far you've come. You have reached one such milestone. You are pre-approved for our credit card. I'm not just approved. I was pre-approved. Before they approved me, they approved me. They pre-approved me. I've I've been married to the same woman for almost 40 years. She ain't ever pre-approved anything I've ever done. But these people who do not know me very well, they pre approve it. Before I've done anything, they approve it. Now, you know that that whole talk of pre-approval and approval, it's really just to get me to get their card, because they know if they can get me to get their card, they're hoping that I'll get into debt and I'll be indebted to them. What are the chances that once I get their card and I get indebted to them, that I get another letter to them from them that says, Dear Mr. Barton, we love you so much. And another milestone on the road to financial success is that we've decided because we love you, we are forgiving your debt. It's Jubilee. What are the chances that I get that letter? Well, that letter ain't ever coming. <laughs> but in the year of Jubilee, when God set it aside, he said, Every 50th year, all debts are to be cancelled. It was good news to the poor. The second thing that happened in the Jubilee year is all the prisoners, all captives, they get set free. Now again, that's the difference between their society and our society. We hear prisoners getting set free and we're thinking, that didn't sound like such a good thing, because we tend to think, you know, people are in prison because they've done things that they need to be restricted from being with the rest of us. They're danger to us or danger to themselves. and We don't really want them to be set free. That's because we think of it as really serious kind of crimes. But in their day, really, about the only thing you could go to long-term prison for was being in debt. For pretty much anything else that you did, they just killed you. I mean, you speak back to your parents too much, get the stones out, kill that boy. You look at the wrong woman at the wrong time in the wrong way, let's kill that guy. You steal from somebody once too often, kill him. In fact, for pretty much everything, the sentence was, kill him unless you got into debt, and then it was put him in in prison, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because if you're in debt and you're in prison, you certainly can't ever pay off the debt, and it was just this oppressive, you never get out of it. Some of you know what that feels like, but in Jubilee, prisoners get set free. The third thing that was supposed to happen is that the land was supposed to go back to its original owner. So, In their day, the way economics were, it wasn't as complicated as economics are now. In their day, wealth was primarily tied to ownership of property. So if your dad or your grandfather had land, you were probably going to be okay. But if through a series of bad decisions or through gambling or through, you know, some kind of misfortune that came upon them, they lost the land, well, you were just up a creek. That is until Jubilee came. Jubilee was good news because the land was to go back. Now, this is the way God says it. In fact, you might wonder, what's God's rationale and why he would want that to happen? Here's what he says. The land must not be sold permanently. This is what the Lord God says. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and tenants. Now, we don't really think of it that way. We like to think of ourselves as, hey, I bought it, I own it, I paid for it, it's mine, it'll go to the people I want to give it to. But God has this idea, it's a little strange, that he thinks because he created the earth and he sustains the earth, that the earth sort of belongs to him, and because he'll be here long after us, he sort of thinks he owns it. And God hates it when people begin to get grabby and they begin to take advantage of people and they hold on to things and they overlook the plight of the poor. And so God says, in Jubilee, all the land goes back to its original owners. In fact, when God gives the promised land to his people, he sets out this sort of mission statement, this kind of vision of what he wants it to be like in the land. He says in Deuteronomy 15, 4, There should be no needy persons among you. Jubilee is this pretty audacious thing. But Jubilee has this one problem. Have you picked up what the problem is with Jubilee? Here's the problem. They just didn't do it. They just wouldn't do it. The problem with Jubilee is they heard what God had to say. They heard about it being good news for the poor. They heard about debts getting canceled, and prisoners getting set free, and land going back. But There's this funny thing about people and stuff that once we get some stuff, we find out that the stuff kind of gets grabby on us, and we think we have it, and it turns out it often has us. And the idea of us letting it go or giving it away, it just, it clings to us. And so when it came to being set free, they just decided we won't ever do Jubilee. Though Jubilee was this amazing idea, people just decide we're never going to do that. But God... God would not give up on the idea of Jubilee. So through the years, through prophets who, who would come, they would say, hey, when the Messiah comes, when God's king comes, when the king and his people come, they will begin to set the prisoners free. They will be good news for the poor. They will begin to set things right. When the year of the Lord comes, that will hump, will happen. And so the people waited. They waited. And they hoped and they waited until one day in a backwater Galilee town a a carpenter stands up in Nazareth and he takes the scroll and he says the year of the Lord is today and it starts with me and of course what he's saying is it's first of course going to be played out in my life I'm I'm going to be the source of this, and it's it's going to come through me. But for me, I'm going to be good news for the poor. and The people that follow me, we're going to begin to set captive free. Jubilee has come, and it's come in me first, but it's going to be released in the world. And Jesus got up from that place on that day, and he began to go everywhere and say, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Believe the good news. The captives are free. Everyone gets to go free. Debts are canceled. The poor have been released. Jubilee has come. Jesus and his people, they were good news for the poor. In fact, Jesus, he just talked a whole lot about the poor. Jesus, near the end of his time, he tells this parable about how he says, if you want to be with me when I go away, if you want to be with me, if you want to know how you can be in contact with me, then you need to get close to the poor. He says, when you're with them, you're with me. Theologians refer to this as God is sacramentally present among the poor. Now, you may have heard the word sacrament, but you don't really know what it means, a sacrament. Well, all a sacrament is, is a sacrament is where God takes an ordinary object, God takes ordinary common things, and he uses them as a vessel through which he he comes to people, he ministers to people, his spirit comes to people, communion, which we've already Uh, taken part of in this service, Uh, communion is a sacrament of the church. And communion, uh, it ranges how people see it sacramentally. On the one hand, uh, you have Catholics on one end, that Catholics tend to believe on the sacramental nature of communion, that when the priest prays over the bread, that the bread literally becomes the body of Jesus. It literally becomes his flesh. And that the wine, when they pray over it, it sacramentally literally becomes his blood. That's one end. And then you have people like us who believe that in communion, when we take communion together, that God miraculously, the bread stays the bread, and then miraculously God changes wine into grape juice. (laughs) That's our end. But either way, however you see it, what communion is is that God is present in these common elements. God is meeting people. God is ministering to people through these elements. Well, Jesus says, I am among the poor like that. You want to find me, I will be there. Anytime, he says, anytime a person gives clothing to a person who's in need, I will be there. When you go to prison and you visit someone who's alone, Jesus says, I will be in that person. When you give food to somebody who's hungry, Jesus says, I will be there. In fact, he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done it for me. Now, it's still them. It's still the person. It's still the poor person. It's still them. It's a, it's a common, ordinary thing. But Jesus is in it. And Jesus talked about the poor. He said that we were to serve the poor. And He taught this to this little community. And then He died. And then He resurrected. And then He went away. And He left this job to them, this little community that would be known as the church. And there had never been on the face of a planet a group like the church there had been nothing like them i mean some of them were fishermen and they were jews and some of them were slaves and they were gentiles and some of them were tax collectors and some of them were extremely poor but they came together with no common bond except they were connected through jesus in this but look what it says about their community when we first read about it it says in the book of acts there were no needy persons among them well we've heard that before Remember that promise that we read a few minutes ago when God first lays out what he wants his people to be? There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles, at their leaders' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What's that sound like? That sounds a lot like Jubilee, except it's gone from an idea that wasn't done to it's gotten in people's heart, and people are allowing Jubilee to first breakthrough in them and they're set free and then through them God is setting people free. It was good news for the poor that broke out of this little community. And ordinary people, people with no great wealth with nothing great to offer, they systematically would gather together and people would share what they had to give and then together they would begin to relieve and offer good news to the poor who had nothing in common, not the same race, not the same socioeconomic background. That's the community that Jesus died to launch. It's the history of Christianity. It is what the church brought to the world and it's changed everything. And if we want to have the best Christmas ever, then you and I need to allow the spirit of Jubilee to break forth in us and we need to begin to spread good news to the poor. Which means when that begins to happen in you, Jubilee people occasionally find themselves getting mad when a person who jubilee begins to look at the way the kingdom of God is described, and when they see what's happening normally in our world, it's just unacceptable to them. I love the way the old King James Version translates that verse that Jesus, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon him to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, if the year of jubilee is the acceptable year of the Lord, What is every year that's not Jubilee? It's just unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. And what begins to happen in Jubilee people is they begin to get set free, and they begin to look at the world, and they hear this vision of no needy persons and what God could do in us as we work together, they begin to look at the greed and the self-focus that's around us and how people begin to judge whether things are okay, whether things are okay for me economically instead of what's happening in the world. And people begin to look at the difference between the beauty of the kingdom of God and what's happening in our world. And they say, hey, we can't do everything, but we must do something. We have to do something. So... As many of you know around here at Community Christian, that's at the heart of what we try to do. If you stay around long enough, you'll eventually hear. Every month, all throughout the year, we're trying to do something in our community, in our state, in our country, around the world, that we want to be good news to the poor, that we want to make a difference in our community. But every year is a part of our celebration of the birth of our leader at CCC at Christmas time We come together and we have what we say is a big do-something offering where we will collectively come together like they did and we will pool our resources and do some big thing for the poor. You've already heard in the video before I got up that one of the things we do is we come together and we look the most vulnerable in our community, poor young children who... Through no choice of their own, that's where they find their life, and we say, "Hey, we want to, you to know, know that we see you, that we notice you, that we are in your community, and we love you." And so, this year, we're trying to sponsor 500 kids at at, uh, at Christmas time, and I hope by the time you leave that you'll want to go and help with that, and you'll go out and maybe you'll grab one kid's name or, or two, and you'll buy gifts for them that maybe you can afford to do more. That you like my wife, and that she buys you know, I don't 18, 20. It seems like every year. And we just, mounds of Christmas gifts that we give away as we begin to try to set poor people free. As we make a difference to say, hey, we know you. And our leader came to be good news to the poor and we want to be as well. But in addition to that, every year, we take other of our resources and we pull together and let's say, let's do one big thing together. And for the last seven years, we've been coming together collectively and We started small with just one project in our community. And then they said, what can we do bigger? And we began to do things like water projects uh, around Haiti. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and our closest neighbor. Uh, And so we said, maybe we can invest in Haiti. And through water projects, we knew we could make a difference. You know, the majority illnesses in the under-resourced areas are through waterborne illnesses. And we know that if we can get clean drinking water to people, it improves their health, and if it improves their health, they can then get educated and they can hold down jobs. And so, through just that one thing, so much could change. And over the last six to seven years, we have done so much in that area. In fact, I could not be prouder to be a part of a church that I can say confidently over the last seven years through these projects at the end of the year, we have given more than a quarter million dollars away. None of it, no handling costs, no penny of the money that's collected for this has stayed with Community Christian Church. We've just given it away and said, hey, this is good news for the poor in our community. Now, normally at this time, we I'd be announcing something that we're doing in Haiti this year, but... Haiti is currently in a time of political unrest. Could you believe that a country could have political unrest? They're having a little trouble with their president in their country. And so because of that, now is not a good time for projects to go forward. So this year is not a great time for us to begin to move the ball forward. And so there are things that we could do in our community, but I could not be prouder and more excited to tell you about what we are going to do together and instead of dividing it among several projects, we collectively want to do one big thing together this year. Here's what it is. One of the l- largest uh, contributors to, uh, to poverty in our country is crushing medical debt. It, it, it affects everybody, but it, affect, it, it especially affects those that are most vulnerable the elderly, and those who are chronically ill, and the poor. And it might be a surprise to many of you because you would think our government would take care of this, but it also affects veterans who find themselves under the weight of crushing medical debt. It also attacks middle class who are living paycheck to paycheck, and then something happens to them physically, and they have medical debt that comes about, and it puts them in a category where they just can't get back up economically. Uh, and again, medical debt is not something like you make a bad choice. It's, it's often just a necessity. Well, a few years ago, a couple of guys through, in our country who had long-term, they had worked in the medical debt industry. They had been collecting medical debt, and they saw what it was doing to the poor among us, and they wanted to do something about that. They wouldn't have said these words, but what they literally wanted to do was they wanted to declare jubilee to people who were in medical debt. They wanted to set the captives free. So they formed a 501c corporation, a non-profit corporation, where they could buy medical debt for pennies on the dollar and then receive donations, and they could literally begin to just take those donations. For pennies on the dollar, they could begin to cancel the debt. They would literally say to people, hey, your debt is totally forgiven. They'd get a letter in the mail noting that, and then they would contact them and through other people at their 501c3, uh, they would begin to then help people get back on their feet to rebuild their credit and to re-enter, and so they could get back into our economy and, and get reestablished. So these are people that every day they have to listen to messages from people who, who are just under utterly crushing medical debt from a young man in Kentucky whose dad s- had suffered a stroke and, and now they're going to lose their house because they just, they can't pay the medical debt and pay for their house. From a woman in Florida who, has cancer, and she's, she just doesn't know where else to turn from people at every point of our culture who are feeling the weight of this, and they're vulnerable in every state, in every place. They don't know how to get out of it, and this is where you and I come in this year. This year, we're going to ask every person at Community Christian to make a one-time gift. Now, by one time, I don't mean one time this Sunday, and then one time again next Sunday. I mean a one-time gift, and Through this one-time gift that you'll give, if we all collectively come together, we're going to put this all toward medical debt to the places where we live. On the south side of Atlanta, uh, we're going to set some captives free in our area in medical debt. And those who have been with us before, your veterans around here, you know that we have an amount that we use. And I'm happy to tell you that again this year, we've been able to hold the cost. There is not one penny of inflation this year, and there's no handling costs. All of this money will go away. We're asking everybody to give, and you can see it on the screen, let's say it together with me, 39.95. And if everybody, for every person in your family, would give $39.95 for all the people at both of our campuses, we would collectively receive. $40,000. And when we take that $40,000 and we give it to this organization, which is called RIP Medical Debt, through their ability to purchase that debt up, we will be able to relieve $4 million worth of medical debt in Heard County, in Carroll County, in Meriwether County, in Coweta County, in Fayette County, where they have gone and they vetted people living at or below the poverty level who are crushed under the weight of medical debt. They'll begin to declare jubilee. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If right now you're a person that has cash and you intend to participate in this today, your one-time gift of $39.95, you're going to give in cash or check, would you right now look in the cup holder in your seat, find that offering envelope. If you want a donation receipt for this so you can deduct it on your taxes, put your check or your $39.95 for every person in your family in that envelope, And in just a moment, we're going to pass the baskets again because we want to take this money and separate it so that all the money in this goes directly to this project. But if you're like me, while those people are doing that, there are a number of us that we give digitally. So if you right now are going to give by credit card your $39.95 gift, would you click on the Do Something card? That's at ashleyparkchurch.com. And when you click on that... That's going to take you to a website where you're going to see a big blue icon. Then click on that big blue icon that looks like a little stick man. And when you do that, it'll just momentarily take you to our website. And then in about three seconds of being at our website, it'll go to a place where it says to you, I'd like to give. And it'll say to do something. We want to already have pre-filled in the fund so that none of this goes to our general fund. It will all go to this. You then fill in the amount, $39.95, or if there are two of you, make it, you know, $80. Or, you know, if you've got four people in your family, I try to give, my wife and I try to give for everybody in our family. And since I have some people that have lots of kids in my family, it's a lot this year that we want to give. But, you know, some of us have been blessed. We can give a lot. Whatever it is, you put it in there, and then you click on, you want to use your bank account or you want to use a credit card. If you use a credit card, just hold out your credit card scan the credit card. It'll automatically enter the numbers for you and then you hit the donate button. For $39.95, what all of us collectively could do together could just be amazing. So I'm going to give you just a moment. In fact, right now if you've already filled out your envelope. I'm going to ask for those who are going to receive the offering at Ashley Park, would you go ahead and begin to pass the baskets. And The rest of you, go ahead, have your phones out and be filling it out. let together do something to honor Jesus and prepare ourselves to be jubilee people. Now, I could go on. I could talk about this for a long time, but I just want to say to you, you and I have a part to play. We have a part to play, and it will change us. God makes clear to us again and again and again that he cares about the poor, and he has always had a plan for the poor, and the plan has been us And that there would be no needy people among us. And it could happen. If we allow God's grace to work in us and set us free, and then through us to begin to be good news for the poor. We could begin to set the captives free. There could be the time of Jubilee declared if we would begin to live the Jubilee life. Does anybody know a better life? Does anybody know a better opportunity? Does anybody know a better way that you could prepare to begin to remember the one who set you free this December. And it would change everything as we declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Let's bow, and I'll pray for us together. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus who sets us free. And it's not just you set us free spiritually, but when you set us free spiritually, you begin to set our hearts free, and you set us free of the things that cling onto us, and we can begin to help you set other people free. Help us to be willing to do that. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus name, I pray. Thank you all for being here and be here next week. Remember, 3995 and go get a Christmas kid before you leave today. Thanks for coming.